Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you go before us, that you allow us this morning to relish your presence and to come to a more fuller understanding, a better expression, a clearer picture, Lord, of who you are in our lives, in your plan, and in your will. We thank you for the privilege of the Spirit. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the assembly that we have the privilege of gathering with so that you would be preeminent in all things, that you would be glorified in all things, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. This morning I want to talk to us about what does it mean to be a friend of God. The sermon is titled, I am a friend of God. And I imagine many of you have heard this phrase. We've been going through this sermon series, Things Christians Say. And in the more recent weeks, prayerfully you've noticed that we've transitioned from talking about things Christians say in regards to the Bible and doctrine into things Christians say more about their attitude and the way they live their lives. And last week, we spoke about faith. We talked about how it is commonly known for Christians to say things such as, you just have to have faith, or I live by faith. And we noted in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And by it, men of old gained approval. We noted that faith is a verb. It's something that must be acted out. We are called to have a demonstrable faith. What we would say is a demonstrable, a substantiated belief. A demonstrated faith is a substantiated belief. And this needs to be seen in the way we live our lives, the way we approach topics and situations, and our worldview. Prayerfully, I laid that before you all last week. Now, I just want to talk about the difference there between a, substan- uh, between a belief and a substantiated belief. A belief is something like, I believe I will have a great week. I don't know the week. I have no substance to really know much about the week. Now, a substantiated belief is that my belief is based upon the things that I already know. And when you go through Hebrews chapter 11, you read about men who, because they knew that God was, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, which is faith, because they knew those things, they had a substantiated belief, they put their faith in action. They were willing to leave their homeland to go to a foreign land because they knew that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That's that hall of faith there that you see in Hebrews chapter 11. So I want to move us a bit further and I want to continue that same theme there. What does it mean to have faith in the fact that I am a friend of God? How do I substantiate that belief and what does it mean? So the first thing we must do in order to assess this is we must say what it means to be a friend. Now, before I do that, and I want to make this a bit interactive and ask some of you for some insights. So before we do that, I just want to share a personal experience that in my life, I've had moments of utter bliss where I felt as though I was in the clouds with Jesus. I was walking with Jesus and where I could sing, I am a friend of God. And that song was more than just a hip tune, that it was the expression of what I understood about my relationship with God and that I think of the things that I enjoy about friendship and I I embrace those things in my relationship with God. So again, I want to ask you all, what does it mean to be a friend? 
Now, I know Sister Vicky has said that it is about a, those that would be willing to lay down their life. Many of us had said trust and loyalty. Many of us said, you know, uh, care and concern. In my life, I would say that I would highlight a friend is those that would humor each other. As many of you did this morning when I had brought up, uh, you know, our recent square dance and those that were arrested for, you know, and I made humor of it. You know, it wasn't a real jail, but we went to a, you know, a joke jail for being on our phone or crossing our legs or whatever it might have been. And many of you laughed, not knowing what I was talking about, because you are my friends. You humored me, even though you had no idea what I was talking about. Another thing that my friends do is they laugh with me. My friends bring joy. They bring peace. They encourage me. They have conversation with me. It's hard to have a friend that you do not speak with. So now I want to challenge us in this regard. If we are saying that we are friends of God, do we see these things? And I would say in my life I do. And at moments I've had, in seasons I've had, utter bliss in seeing those things in my life with my walk with God. And then sometimes they're not as evident. Maybe I don't feel that way. My emotions are not in line with my covenantal understanding and my relationship with God. So just as we noted what it means to be a friend and the things that you would demand from your friends, let's note that Jesus Christ is the perfect fulfillment of what it means to be a friend. And I believe I'll present that before us this morning. The church has been called to make known the manifold wisdom of God. And that's why I believe it is important for us to sort of have that interaction and to know what each other believe about a friend of God. I do not believe that it's remiss to say that a friend is... Somebody akin to the best man, to your maid of honor. And matter of fact, in the Greek, the word philos, which is used for a friend in many different places in the scriptures, this word demonstrates a best man, a maid of honor, a friend, an associate, one that you are familiar with. And we think of that city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. I want to take us through a bunch of scriptures this morning that highlight friends and highlight certain attributes that are necessary in a friendship. And I believe that if we examine these things, they'll lead us into an even better understanding of what it means to be a friend of God and a better understanding of how we might live in that reality. So our first text is going to be Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. Now, I'm not going to be going through all the context. Again, the point here is to bring us to these different texts to highlight the meaning of friendship. So here at Exodus chapter 33, we do know that this is Moses uh, going on the Mount Sinai and, you know, all the details, but we're not going to get into all that context. What I want us to look at is Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. And it says here that at this tabernacle where the Lord was tabernacling with Moses, it says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses spoke to the Lord as face-to-face, as does a friend. Very important, communication, conversation. That face-to-face understanding there that is depicted all throughout the Bible is not just face-to-face, looking face-to-face, but it speaks of an intimacy intimacy that the Lord and Moses had. The presence of God, the presence of a friend. I need my friends to be present in order to be called my friends. Second Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to look at verse 7. 
says, Did you not, O God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to your descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Again, we know Israel were the fleshly descendants of Abraham. And here it's noting that Abraham was a friend of God. That friendship that Abraham had with God was passed on to his future generations. That Israel would be those who strive with God, Israel. It's, no, it's worthy of noting Abraham was a friend of God. That in, in your notes you should be writing that. Abraham was a friend of God because that calls us to look at Abraham's life. Like when we, we talk about being a man after God's own heart, we know that we look at David's life. We look at his devotion to the Lord. So what we want to ask ourselves is what was it about Abraham that led to him being called a friend of God? And I believe it will come out in our reading this morning. If we haven't already noticed that the, uh, the presence of God. Another thing that I'll highlight from this text here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, is that from, your friends make promises. Promises. Friends are big in promises with each other. And here the Lord has made promises to Abraham. To his descendants. Friends keep their promises. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. Proverbs are very good because they're wise insight. Surely these can relate to all of our friendships. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. Friends are loyal. And in many translations it says friends, uh, friends are loyal, but brothers are born to help in a time of need. If you ever want to know what the purpose of your friendships are, your friends are there to love at all times, to be there for you through thick and thin. Your brother to be even more intimate. You cannot choose your family. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 a man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That is worthy of note there. I would say in my life, I've, I've been guilty of this, that a man of too many friends comes to ruin. When you sh- spread yourself thin and you try to show yourself friendly to too many, those who are not returning that friendship, that loyalty, that presence, that promising trust, come to ruin. And again, I believe we all know that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and we know this to be talking about and to be highlighting the Lord Jesus Christ. The next text we'll look at is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of the enemy. You know, you ever have a... I've heard many different popular cultural slogans that seem to highlight this. Uh, They'll say that, you know, the worst hurt comes from those that are the closest to you. And that's so true. But your friends, they can say the things that would hurt the most because they're your friends. They can challenge you because they care about you. Whereas I would rather have my friends say the hurtful things that are necessary to help me grow. You know, they may, be, they may hurt at the time. They may be a wound at the time. However, they are so much better and so much more valuable and obviously more edifying than the deceitful lies of an enemy trying to make you think that they are their, your friend. The deceitful kisses of an enemy. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6. That was Proverbs, I'm sorry. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 14. This is another one that many of us may like. Another voice of wisdom and reason here. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. I know I'm not the only one that has 
that friend. Matter of fact, I probably am that friend. Need to rebuke myself. Uh, that calls people early in the morning and says, "Hey, good morning, welcome." And you know, you're like, "Oh, geez, I'm not in the mood for this." Let's note this: early morning annoyance is not friendly. Take this Christian, take this as a Christian, and know that we are called to be salt. We are called to bring out the glorious flavors of God on the earth, to use that text there from Matthew chapter 5. We are not called to be antagonists, and this can relate to all the whole sphere of life and our worldview. And surely needs to be said to more Christians. Being an annoyance is not friendly. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, we read, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. In some translations there, it says, So a friend sharpens a friend. That's the goal of your friendship, to edify each other, to build one another up. I have a memo board, and on my memo board, it, tell, it says that I am, I am encouraged and I strive through encouragement rather than when I'm discouraged and I seem to lead myself into more stumbling and failure. So those that I keep around me must encourage me and push me forward. That's my friendships. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8 will be our next text. And in Isaiah, we know we're reading about promises here, prophecies. Proverbs chapter 41, verse 8 through 10, it says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its uttermost parts, and have said to you, You are my servant, I have chosen you, and have not rejected you. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. For I am your God, I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Again, we see here because he's a friend of Abraham. That's what friends do. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, as well as Luke chapter 7, verse 37. In reading about our Lord, he who we follow, we learn that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Right there, that should call us to account. In our friendship with God, in our following after the Lord Jesus, we know that we have that same call to be the friend of sinner, to show yourself loyal, to make promises, to stick close to, to have your presence around sinners so that they would call you a friend. Jesus ultimately knew that and believed in relationship evangelism. This isn't some new phenomenon. This is something our Lord knew. In John chapter 11, verse 11, he refers to Lazarus as our friend. Notice how Jesus viewed those who were following him. Matter of fact, John chapter 15, the text I really wanted to place emphasis on this morning, we learn a lot about friendship. John chapter 15, verse 13, start there. Matter of fact, I'm going to back up and start at verse 12. It says, This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That one laid down his life for his friends. Again, that was reiterated for us in that beautiful song Sister Meredith sang for us this morning. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Notice that there. That's important. We are friends. We enjoy that friendship with God, that friendship through Jesus Christ, if we do what we are commanded, to love one another. No longer do I call you slaves, because a slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for I have heard from the Father, all things, and I have made them known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit, so that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. So much there about friendship. 
The, the greater love has no man than this, he who lays down his life for his friends. That there's a contrast between slaves and friends. Slaves are those who just work and are, are mindlessly you know, doing the work of their master, whereas friends are those who know the intent, know the details, are involved on an intimate level. And then in James chapter 2, here we get to our last verse. This highlights that friendship that I had said there about Abraham. It should be going back to the top of your notes, where at the top of your notes it should say Abraham was a friend of God. And here in chapter 2 of James, verse 23, we read, And the scripture was fulfilled which said, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Because of his faith, he was able to appreciate the presence. He was able to obtain the promises. He was able to have that iron sharpening iron, that encouragement, that building up, that edification that would come from God. Being a friend of God. That's important. Abraham is a great example of one who had faith. And that faith allowed him to experience the blessing of being a friend of God. So I wanted to focus us on two major points here about friend, being a friend of God. And that would be the presence of God and what that presence and that friendship should bring about, which ultimately is the body of Christ. Because friends gather and bless one another, amen? So the presence of God, again, we've noted that friends have that face-to-face intimacy that we see there in Exodus chapter 33. And as I began to think about this and I asked myself, what does it really mean to know that presence, that intimacy that I've, I've felt and I've, I've known with God? And the way I would like to explain it, the way I would bring it before us, is to imagine what it must have been like to enter into the Holy of Holies. That high priest was only allowed that privilege once a year. Now, we believe that all those veils have been taken down and that through Jesus Christ, we experience that very presence. How are we called to regard the presence of God? That might be something we look back and go back to Moses. Take off your shoes, Moses. Watch where you stand. This is holy ground. Having that attitude, that awe for the majesty of our Lord. And then the necessity of gathering, being the body of Christ. Because if we are his friends and he has made known to us everything which the Father had made known to him, we know that we are the body of Christ, not in a figurative sense, no. That the church is the body where the fullness of the Lord is found there. We see that in Colossians chapter 1. We are the flesh and blood body of Jesus, alive and well in the world through the Holy Spirit, his hands, his feet, and his ears. I love what Shane Claiborne Claiborne talks about in regards. He's somebody that I would go to in talking about friendship. And he says that the church in in the book of Acts, they dreamt. Friends dreamed together. They dreamt of the reality where there would be no needy person among them, where everyone shared their possessions, and that no one claimed anything as their own. Shane Claiborne talks about how the early church did this, and then he had the privilege of doing this with his local assembly, where they were able to express what it meant to be reborn, to ultimately be a friend of God, adopted into a new family, a family without borders, a family with new eyes, where we could see that our family is both local and global, including but transcending biology, tribe, nationality, a renewed vision of the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, Iraq, Sudan, Burma, North Philly, and Beverly Hills, and dare I say, right here at Blue Point, New York. Friends of God. 
obviously when I begin to think about friends of God and I begin to think about the word friends in theology, the Quakers come to mind. And uh, Shane Claiborne would be somebody that I might say is a more modified Quaker. And uh, a couple verses that I had went and I went through YouTube and began to look up some things about the Quakers and wanted to hear from the, the Society of Friends. And I love some of the verses that they brought up, which I believe also account for our walking in faith, that we are friends of God. And some of those texts would be Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where we are called to walk worthy of the calling that we have been given. Friends walk worthy. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, the uh, prophet Isaiah, in response to a burden, in response to what God had seen and was burdening his people to see about their false righteousness, Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Friends go and help one another. They're on mission together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 34, we read, Do not swear. Uh, we know that the society of friends are very big in not taking oaths. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. And surely we can say that that leaks into friendship. That we would just be very clear in our words and be very simple. We don't have to swear to one another. Friends bring light to one another. Noting that text there in John chapter 1, verse 9. If the Lord is our friend, that's exactly what he did. He was the true light that came into the world to enlighten everyone. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruits of the Spirit. And again, we see the Lord in John chapter 15, verse 14, says that if you are my friend, you will do as I command. And we know that that fruit is mentioned right there in that same, a couple verses later. Bearing good fruit. Shane Claiborne has this quote that I want to share with us in closing. And the quote is, Christians should be troublemakers. Of course I would like that, amen. And uh, Christians should be troublemakers, creators of uncertainty, agents of a dimension incompatible with society. Do we believe that this morning, church? I tend to think that's what a friend is. A friend of God is going to be a troublemaker in a world that is set on being wicked. We're going to speak the truth. We're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to demolish the strongholds that keep people back from having the true knowledge of God. That's going to make us troublemakers. That is going to set us at odds with God. We see there in 1 John chapter 2, I believe it is, it says that those who have friendship with the world are at enmity with God. Well, no, we are friends with the world and hate the way the world has set itself up with a false righteousness and idolatry. Everything that we saw judgment against in that first century. Creators of uncertainty. I read this book, The Art of Uncertainty. I found it to be very uh, enlightening. And I'll just share with you a couple little points from the book. When it comes to life, we often have a far greater attachment to knowing how the story is going to end long before it does. And we suffer greatly before of it, because of it. In our, if our intention is to advance in our understanding of how to create a life worth living which again, abundant life, eternal life, through knowing our Lord Jesus Christ. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. It would be safe to say that one of the required courses in the earth school curriculum is the art of uncertainty. It's a great quote I wanted to share with us here. I love this point they make in the book. Many people end up living their entire adult life in a rut because they believe it's safe there. The risk of loss appears to be minimal as long as we keep our heads below the line of fire. Why not enter the mysterious, conscious, to enter the mystery consciously and intentionally every day? Being willing to walk in an uncertainty.
just want to find a couple of good points from the book here. Again, obviously, there's a lot of uh, talk about encouragement and courage. And we see here, uh, E.E. E. Cummings says, it, is, it takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. Because, again, we know that you're going to have to walk in areas of uncertainty. I know everybody in the room that's grown up knows this very well, that, unfortunately, part of growing up is a lot of times having to walk in areas of uncertainty, which aren't always easy. Albert Einstein himself said, the important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existing. Never lose a holy curiosity. How about that inner guidance? The uncertainty of following an inner guidance. Uh, Shakan Gawan, a spiritual teacher, not one probably supposed to mention in a sermon, uh, said this, every time you don't follow your inner guidance, you feel a loss of energy, a loss of power, and a loss of spiritual, a sense of spiritual deadness. And unfortunately, I'm not finding quote that I had endeavored to share with us this morning. Share one more with us finding here. Um, Man's task in life is to give birth to himself, to become what he potentially is. And we should all know that. That is going to take a lot of uncertainty. That's going to take a willingness to be agents of a dimension incompatible with society, if indeed we are walking in line with bearing fruit, walking in line with being friends of God. What are your convictions this morning? Where do you believe that we need to be causing some trouble as friends of God? Where do you believe that we need to see a bit more uncertainty and willingness to walk in faith like those that went before us, the other friends of God that are revealed to us in Scripture? As friends of God, how are we called to live out a dimension that is incompatible with the way that the world is living? To be a friend of God is to be at enmity with the world, just as to be a friend of the world is to be at enmity with God. So our grow and go this week is going to be to challenge you to, of your convictions. Ask yourself what it means to be a friend of God. Live out those convictions so that you would rightly be able to say that. So that you would mean what you say and say what you mean when you say, I am a friend of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. We thank you for the example of Abraham, Lord, he who was called your friend by faith. We thank you for the example of those who are in the hall of faith, Lord. We thank you for the saints that have blazed the trails of living as friends of you, Lord. Thank you for the witness of the Quakers and Shane Claiborne and, and many who challenge us to live that image of being a friend of God. Thank you for the faith that I have, Lord, that I could stand here this morning and say, I am a friend of God. Thank you for being my friend, Lord. I magnify your holy name. We magnify your holy name. And thank you, Lord. And ask that you continue to convict us, continue to lead us forward, so that we would grow in all things. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.